I hope you're doing well this evening. I'm so glad that you are here. You can turn your Bibles this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We have been making our way through the pastoral epistles for the last several months. Uh, We have just finished up talking through Titus. We've gone through 1 Timothy now, back to the second epistle to Paul's beloved disciple, his young disciple, young protege, Timothy. And here we will end the pastorals, of course, with this last letter. And this is a good way to end because 2 Timothy is a climactic book on multiple levels. Uh, If you read through it, you will just get this sense of finality in Paul's words as he's speaking in the sense that he knows that this is the end for him and for his ministry. Of course, if you, I'll just jump ahead. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. That is sort of the tenor of the entire letter. He knows that his time in this part of preaching and spreading the gospel and planting churches is pretty much over at this point. He knows that that is no longer his role or his purpose. You can sense that. This is Paul's parting words, so to speak. This is a farewell letter of sorts. You can sense it just in the way he writes. Of course, this is the close of all the pastoral letters. And of course, also, this is the last written scriptural words that we have from the Apostle Paul. And so, therefore, I think these are some really important letters and important words to understand and to know. If you want to know... Anyone's sort of most important thing in life, just wait till they are on their deathbed and they tell you something. Have you ever had that opportunity before with a loved one, perhaps? I remember that with my, with my grandmother, um, my dad's mom. When she was passing away, this was back in 2009, I believe. I remember when she went through this phase where she was, uh, she was on her deathbed and, and there was that window that God gives people, I think especially, where everyone was able to come and see her one last time. She was able to call her whole family together and give us parting words, so to speak. I remember being overcome with grief, but I also remember now looking back fondly on that time that we were able to spend that moment with her. Essentially... This is sort of the same thing. Paul is almost calling his disciple close. And in fact, he calls for him to visit him. If you look at the close of the book, um, he says in verse 21 of chapter 4, Do thy diligence to come before winter. And he's, he's actually pleading with him to come to him, to come to uh, where he is imprisoned. He wants Timothy to come visit him. So these are important words, and I also think that the the importance of these words and the significance of the words are heightened when you understand the context in which Paul was writing. This last letter of 2 Timothy was written somewhere in between the years 64 and 68 AD, most likely in in 67. Uh, Some believe it was slightly earlier than that, but regardless, it plants it firmly in the middle of all of Emperor Nero's Uh, persecutions against the Christians in Rome. It plants it firmly in the middle of all of that melee and mayhem and chaos of Nero blaming Christians for crimes they didn't commit in order for him to look better as he persecutes them and kills them. 
As, as the stories go, as he uses them as human torches to light Rome with the bodies of these Christian believers. His zeal and his hatred for these Christians was motivated by his passion to just wipe them out. And that's the context for Paul writing. You can sense it. You can sense that Paul understands the imminence of the moment, the significance of the moment, that he is ministering, but also the moment in which he is leaving Timothy. You can sense it. He understands this is a very important juncture for the church. And such is what he is hoping to relay to his young disciple. Understand the moment. And don't give in to the moment. Keep preaching what you know. Keep preaching what you know is the truth. Don't delay. And in fact, I can jump ahead. But in chapter 2, verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he says. It's a very impassioned letter. And I think it's impassioned mostly because Paul's mind is just racked with the idea of death. The death of those that are around him. His own death, perhaps, too, that was imminent. But he had witnessed co-laborer after co-laborer falling away into their own ruin, yes, but also into their own ruin by renouncing the faith because of the persecution. And so Paul here is desirous of Timothy to stand strong in your faith, Timothy. Persevere in your life of faith. Even as the persecution comes to you, even as opposition grows and waxes worse, be strong in this. Stand for this gospel. Stand firm in the service of the Lord. One commentator, B.B. Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, he says this, 2 Timothy is a sustained incitement of Timothy to courageous steadfastness in preaching the gospel despite all trials and dangers. And that pretty much sums it up. Paul is inviting, encouraging, inciting. He's kindling Timothy's faith in order for him to stand strong. Because he knows what is going to come. A harsh persecution, violence against the church, both inside and outside. And so here in this opening chapter, the first 18 verses, I hope to cover tonight. We're going to see three different lessons that Paul gives to Timothy to aid his life of faith in these very dark days. These dark days of trial and danger and persecution. The first lesson comes in verses 1 through 12. It's a lesson about relinquishing. A lesson about relinquishing. Let me read these verses for you. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus... To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, 
Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You can see here Paul's words to Timothy, Paul's courageous charge to this beloved disciple of his. And here you can, I, you can see in Paul's words that he is encouraging Timothy to relinquish his own hold over his own life. That's the only way he was going to minister effectively to people who were faced with death. If he was going to have any effectiveness and power, he would need to have, as Jesus elsewhere commands us, to hold our lives loosely. Look at the phrase in the first, in the first verse. He says, he says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Keep that phrase in your head because I think it's sort of in the back of Paul's head even as he's writing all of these verses. Paul was engrossed in a life and a calling that was not his own. He says elsewhere in Galatians that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you can see it here in his writing that he was living by the will of God. That he was impassioned with a gospel, with a truth, with a message that wasn't his. It wasn't something that he made up. It wasn't something that he was sort of, con- uh, that he kind of conjured up in himself. He was engrossed with the calling that God gave him. Look again at verse 9. He writes it to Timothy that this God, the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and who hath called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. It's all of God's doing. He's the one who called us. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who gave us this good news in himself. You can see it. He is so engrossed. He is so captivated by this life that Christ gave him. He didn't find it on his own. God gave it to him. Paul's life was lost. Before God gave it back to him, look at verse 11 and 12 where he says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I also suffer these things. He knew. He knew what his purpose was. My purpose, Timothy, is to preach this message. Why? Because it's not my message. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't answer to man. I don't answer to any other authority. I answer to God alone because my life is lived by the will of God according to the promise of life, as he says in the opening verse. I don't answer to any other authority. No other tribunal has any other effect on me. Why? Because I live by this gospel. I live by this God who gives me this life and this good news. Such you can see is he is... Trying to encourage Timothy. That your entire life, Timothy, is is made possible by the will of God. 
You don't make the will of God happen. It happens. Regardless. Perhaps that was distressing to Timothy. A young pastor who was faced with so much turmoil. Yet Paul is here is encouraging him. This too, Timothy. This is part of the will of God. This too, Timothy. This is part of God's purpose for you and your church. This is part of what God would have you to endure. Nothing is outside of his good will for you. One writer says it this way, that what God determines in eternity is as good as done in time. He is certain of all of this good news because look at the end of verse 9. He says that this purpose and grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the foundation of the world, he writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, that this plan of redemption was ordained by God and we too have a part to play in it. Paul is saying that this is part of God's will. This season of persecution is not outside of God's sovereignty, he is saying. This is part of God's will for you, Timothy. This is part of what God would have you to endure and to see. Such is why he says in verse 7, that beautiful verse, that God has not given us the power, or excuse me, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He has given us those things. Why? Because he wants us to see that he is the one who gives us those things. We don't make those things happen in our lives. It's part of God's will for us to see that, yes, while all around us might be in dismay, he is our constant. He is our certainty. He is the one thing in our life that does not change, that does not falter, that is not alterable, that isn't changeable. Therefore, he is the one by whom we should live. It's his gospel, Jesus' gospel, which gives us the opposite of fear. It gives us power, he says, and of a sound mind. That word sound is literally constancy or confidence. God produces these things in us. The more, Paul is saying, the more that you are living by the will of God, the more these will become a representative of you. God's power, love, and confidence are reproduced in us as we submit to what he is doing in our lives. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do to submit to what God is doing. Why? Because we don't always know what God is doing. (laughs) Have you ever figured out what God was doing before he did it? (laughs) Very unlikely that you haven't. I remember that when I was trying to figure out God's will for my life, and it seemed like year after year there was hardship, there was closed door after closed door. I remember getting really discouraged. God had a plan. God had a will. God's will is always better than what you think it will be. And that may be hard for you to understand because perhaps you're enduring a season in which you're not sure uh, that this could get any worse. (laughs) God's plan is better for you than your plans are for yourself. God has a plan for your life. He is the certainty to which you are to cling. He is the constant that you are able to rely on. He is, as we sung, the solid rock. 
All of their ground is sinking sand. Yes, including your own plans for your life. God wants you to see. He alone is your constant. To Timothy, this must have shook him. Because he was shaken too. This whole Christian world was being upset by all of the persecution and fear. And what does Paul say? Live according to the will of God. According to the life, the promise of life, he says, which is in Christ Jesus. Don't live according to the fear that man wants you to have. Live according to the power and the love and the sound mind which comes from his gospel. Live according to that, Timothy. And you preach that news too. Give that message to your church. This is what would allow him to not be ashamed. As he says in verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner. But, thee, or excuse me, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God. Don't be ashamed. Don't be fearful. Not that Timothy was. Paul is not saying that Timothy had become ashamed. He's just encouraging his steadfastness. Timothy, don't be ashamed of what you know is true. Suffering will come. Hardship will come. Grief will come. But he's saying don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to be a participant in that suffering for the sake of the good news. For the sake of a life that is more important than yours. For the sake of a death that's more important than yours. This is your part to play. Paul is saying I've played this part. Timothy, this is your part to play as well. He's rousing Timothy's faith. And Timothy could be confident because, again, this life was possible according to the power of God that's in the gospel. God is the one who is willing all of this to come about. He is the one who is sovereign over all of this. Therefore, Timothy, Paul is saying, relinquish your life to the hands of the one who knows from the end, from the beginning, to the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has the keys of life and death. Why? Because he walked out of the grave. Relinquish your life to this person, Jesus Christ, your Savior. Which leads me to the next point, which is a lesson about remembering So in those same verses, verses 1 through 12, you can notice Paul's mind a little bit is on memories. He's seeking to stir Timothy to his own remembrance. Look at verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers, forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He's praying for Timothy Night and day, constantly, he's constantly in his prayers. He is undoubtedly uh, burdened for Timothy in the enormous task that he is facing at Ephesus. For the enormous ministerial uh, conflict that was going to come inside the church and out. And he's praying for him. He's greatly designed to see him. He's greatly designed to be with him again. And such is what leads him to verse 5. As he's seeking to remind Timothy, remember your upbringing. Look at what he says. When I call thee to remembrance, the unfeigned faith, excuse me, that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded 
that in thee also. He's thankful for how Timothy was raised. And he's urging him, remember it. Not, again, that Timothy had perhaps forgotten, but he's stirring Timothy's faith by calling him to remember, this didn't originate with you. This message was instilled to you by your, your grandmother and your mother. Keep at this testimony. Live this unfeigned faith, Timothy. And look again at verse 6, where he calls him to remember his calling. He says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He's actually calling him to remember his ordination. In the last chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul was talking about how the laying on of multiple hands at that ordination happened. Here he's using his own words, his own hands, to instill in him that Paul was personally involved in in Timothy's installation into ministry. He wants him to see, remember your purpose, Timothy. This was your calling. This pastorate, this ministry, stir up the gift. Kindle the faith that is in you. God has given you this gift, he is saying. God has given you a gift to preach and teach the good news. Stir it up. Kindle it. Use it. Yes, even in these difficult days. But I think the most resonant message of all comes in the next couple of verses. When you realize the message that Paul was entrusted to preach at this particular juncture. He writes of his confidence in verse verse 10. Look at what he says. Or let me jump back at verse, um, well, let me just read verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who hath abolished death. And hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. He says, this is my message. I am appointed to preach what? The gospel of God that was given to us by Christ Jesus about what? That this Savior Jesus Christ, he abolished death and brought life with him. Step back and think. Think about what this would have sounded like in the ears of a congregation that was faced with death at perhaps even the next moment. Who had perhaps had friends and colleagues and peers who had been taken off in the persecutions. Think about what this would mean to them. That they would have a savior, a God, a Christ who had conquered death. Who had abolished death. How poignant that must have been. How Incredibly, uh, uh, how incredibly resonant it must have been to these hearers. They didn't just have a rousing message to encourage them with boldness. They had a rousing message of one who had already eradicated the worst enemy, death. 
He had trampled it under his feet. As Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That he has already conquered the last enemy. He's already put that enemy under his feet. Therefore they could be steadfast. They could be courageous in this life of unashamedness for the gospel. Why? Because their savior Christ had already canceled death. He had already defeated it. He had conquered it. That word there abolished means rendered powerless. He had made it an impotent foe. It reminds me again of 1 Corinthians 15. Oh death, where is your sting? Where is your power? Where is your fear? Again, we don't have to fear. We have power and love and a sound mind. Why? Because Christ has already canceled death. He's already won. The message of our gospel is the message of already established victory. They didn't have to go out and win a battle. Their fight was already won by a savior who had walked out of a grave. Who had left all of the stench of death behind him in a tomb. And he had walked out in the power of resurrection life. This was their victory. This was their confidence. This was their power. This was what gave them a sound mind. Remember your Savior. Remember your Jesus who conquered, who abolished death. He's already defeated foe, a defanged lion, we might even say. This was Paul's message. He was called to preach a message of death's defeat to a people under fear of death. He was appointed to preach and teach and suffer for this gospel, he says in verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Why? Notice what he says. For I know... Whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He knows. He is confident in this Christ who walked out of the grave. Why? Because he saw him. He saw him on that road so many years ago. On the road to Damascus. That Christ interrupted his plans. (laughs) Remember, Paul was on his way to go and eradicate more Christians for their faith. And what does Jesus do? Jesus interrupts. Jesus invades. Jesus changes Paul's plans. And Paul here is saying, I know whom I believed in. I know because I've seen him. I know because... (laughs) I am confident in his commitment to me, not even my commitment to myself. I think such is the point that Paul is making here, again, that he is not calling Timothy, and by proxy, he's not calling us to submit to, to resolve, and to, uh, excuse me, to relinquish our lives to an ethereal or sort of amorphous or ambiguous force, but to a person. To a person who actually bled and died for you. Who had breath in his lungs. Who who could see and touch and feel things. And if you remember, he invites his disciples to come and touch his hands and to feel his side. 
He was a person who lived and breathed for you. And yes, he is a person who walked out of the grave after dying for you. And Timothy is saying, pledge your life to him. Remember that person. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Submit to him, the man who walked out of the grave. Timothy, this is what you need in a time in which death is all around you. But that leads me to the third lesson, which is in the last half of the chapter, a lesson about resolving. A lesson about resolving. Look at verse 13. He says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest. That all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. For he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how in many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. A lesson about resolving. Paul is closing this first part of his letter by encouraging Timothy's resolve. Yes, for this gospel of remembrance and relinquishment. By encouraging him and energizing him by comparing faithless and faithful followers of the gospel. He's contrasting them here in these words. He knows in verse 13 he says, he is, says, hold fast to the sound words which thou hast heard of me. Stay true, stay confident, follow after all of those things that you've heard me speak, that you've seen me live for. But he contrasts in verses 15 through 18 these two different types of followers. In verse 15, he calls out two guys, Phagellus and Hermogenes, for, as he says, turning away from the faith. Unfaithful followers. They had turned away from Paul, but in so doing, they had also turned away from the gospel too. They had fallen away. Not much is known. In fact, we don't know anything about these two uh, ministers other than what Paul says here, just their names, and the fact that they turned away from Paul and his ministry. Their names are forever remembered as people who distance themselves from the work of the Lord. If that isn't a humbling, disparaging testimony, I don't know what is. But I want you to see that Paul is using them as an example. Timothy, stay true to the gospel. And you contrast Phagellus and Hermogenes by reminding them of Anesiphorus in verses 16 through 18. This is a man who is only mentioned here in this letter. He's only mentioned here in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter. And in the context of these words, and then jump to chapter, 19, or chapter 4, verse 19... He says, salute Priscilla and uh, Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. You notice that he uses that same word in verse 16, unto the house of Onesiphorus. It's believed at this time that this man had already been deceased. 
That he was actually just remembering Onesiphorus' ministry to him at Ephesus and at Rome. He's remembering him. Perhaps he too was a casualty of the great persecutions. Perhaps he too was remembering all the faithful times that Onesiphorus had gone out of his way to minister unto him. He says as much. That he sought him out diligently. He sought after Paul. He sought after this man who was preaching the gospel. And perhaps his life was taken because of it. Instead of turning away, he was seeking out Paul. He was okay with the sufferings, with the stigma that went along with serving Christ and living for the sake of the truth. Such that while some were turning away, he was turning to him. He was seeking him out. He's encouraging Timothy. Be faithful to this calling. There are many around us that are falling away, Timothy. The calling is great. The time is dire. The moment is significant. Do not fall away from the truth. Do not fall away from the sound words which you have heard and seen in me. Notice what he says in verse 14. That good thing, a stand-in for the gospel, that gospel which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Keep the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit who dwells in you, Timothy, your resolve won't be greater than the Holy Spirit's resolve for you. So resolve to bank on his resolve. Resolve to put your faith in what the Holy Spirit will do and dwell in you. It did not originate with himself. It did not originate with Timothy's own mind. It was the Holy Ghost which dwelled in him. That was giving him the resolve to continue even during these last days. And Paul is saying, Timothy, live in light of that Holy Ghost which dwells in you. Keep this faith. Keep this gospel. Relinquish your life to this Holy Spirit. Remember all of the things that he has taught you. That he has ministered unto you. And resolve to live for him alone. Let your life be a life that is lived according to the will of God. Which is according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. This is a life That is worth living. This is a life that has meaning and hope and purpose. A life that's lived according to the will of God. A God who knows the end from the beginnings. A God who has died. And a God who has walked out of the grave. For you and for me. This is our purpose as the church. To proclaim this message. Regardless of what else the world may say to us, preach this message. With your life, yes. With your words, yes. Regardless of who you are around, preach this message. That we have a king and a savior who walked out of the grave and who gave us his life. Who gave us, as it says, life and immortality to light through his gospel. This is your purpose. These are Paul's parting words, but yes, this is our purpose too. Are you living in light of it? 
Let us pray.